copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews this morning. I thought about Memorial Day, and I thought about a message for Memorial Day, and uh, Memorial Day is a time when we honor those who've given their lives for our country. I think it's good that we recognize our veterans, our living veterans on Memorial Day, because we appreciate your service, but obviously Memorial Day is a time to remember those who paid the ultimate price for freedom. You know, people all over the world would love to be where you are this morning. I don't, sometimes you may get discouraged about life and, and you may be down, but you know that there are literally billions of people around the world who would love to have the opportunity that you and I sometimes take for granted, and that is the opportunity to live in the United States of America. And the reason these people want to come here and live is because of the fact that we have something that mankind cherishes and so few people actually have, and that is freedom. And so we celebrate Memorial Day to remember those who have paid their price, for, their, the price for our political freedom. And also we think about Jesus Christ who pray, paid the ultimate price for our spiritual freedom. But there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about death, and I want us to look at that this morning. And the t- topic of the message is how will you die? When you find Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of the word of God. And this is the word of the living God. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, I don't want to depress any of you this morning, but I do have to be honest with you. Uh, I preached on this passage many years ago as a young preacher, and it was really a good text. It's a good text to remind us that uh, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. There's one thing, or really two things I can say about about everybody in this room. First of all, because you're here, you were born. That's pretty common, isn't it? That didn't take a genius to figure that out. Uh, you were born. You got here the way the new Shaw grandbaby is going to come into the world came through his mother or her mother, as the case may be on Wednesday. We'll find out. But everybody here was born. And just as surely as you were born, the Bible says, unless Jesus comes, and that might happen, unless Jesus comes, every one of us will die. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. The older you get, the more you think about it. When you buy a life insurance policy, you think about it. When you go make arrangements at the funeral home, and by the way, let me say this, that is the kindest thing you can do for your family. You say, well, I'm young and healthy. Why do I need to do that? Well, young and healthy people die every day. Uh, Sometimes they die in accidents. Sometimes they're not as healthy as they thought they were. Uh, You know that commercial Shelby Baptist uh, Medical Center put out a couple of years ago that said, how do people feel right before they have a fatal heart attack? And everybody was saying, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I feel fine. Now when people ask me how I feel, I say, well, I really don't know. I feel fine, but I might have a heart attack in the next moment. I'm not real sure how I feel. I'm ambivalent about that. Uh, Now that won't prevent it should it happen, but you know, you might want to try that. Uh, But I always have this picture in my mind. This is how I would like to die. I'm 105 years old. Mary and I are still living in our own house, cooking our own food. We know who we are. We know where we are. Uh, we, we get up on Sunday and go to church every week, you know, uh, don't stay at home and watch it on television. We get up every Sunday, go to church, 
And then one night I go in and I put on my gym shorts to sleep in. And I, I reach over and kiss Mary goodnight. And I say my prayers. And I turn on my CPAP machine and put it on. And uh, I go to sleep. In about five seconds, I'm in a coma. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm hearing angels sing, and I see a bright light, and I'm coming to the light, and I get there, and I, I see Jesus, and I see all my kin folks, and, and I'm in heaven. And, you know, 105 years old, that was a great way to, way to die. I like that. I probably won't die that way. I don't know how I'll die. Uh, but, and I can't determine that. That's already been determined. The Bible says that all the days appointed for me recorded in your book before one of them ever came to be. So God already knows that. But you know, here's one thing I determine. I can determine how I die spiritually. And I can determine how I die in my relationship with God. Now, there's some bad examples in the Bible, and I'm going to point out a couple of them to you. First of all, some people will die as fools. You may have never heard about this man, unless you're a, a real Bible student. You may have never heard of this man. His name was Abner. You need to understand that uh, Abner was a part of the army of King Saul. And after Samuel anointed David to be king, Saul's men tried to kill David, and Saul tried to kill David. And so David had followers. One of David's followers was a man named Joab, and Joab had two brothers. And one day, the soldiers of David were fighting against the soldiers of Saul, and Saul's soldiers were losing. In fact, they were losing so bad, they began to flee. And as they began uh, to flee, uh, Abner was running away and he had his spear with him and he was running and all of a sudden he looked back and here came a guy after him, a young guy who was very fleet footed and he was chasing him and it was a man named Asahel. And Asahel had a brother named Joab who was the king of, who was the leader of David's forces at the time. And so uh, Abner turned around and said to Asahel, he said, hey, turn right or turn left, go find somebody else because I don't want to have to kill you. If I kill you, your brother Joab will take blood vengeance on me, and I don't want to have to worry about that the rest of my life. Well, he said that two or three times, and Asahel just kept on coming, and finally Abner realized he was either going to have to fight him, he couldn't outrun him, something had to happen. So Abner just stopped, and when he stopped, he took his spear and reversed it, and when he reversed it, this literally happened. Asahel impaled himself on Joab's spear. Now, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's in there. You can go read it in, in Samuel. And when he did that, of course, Asahel died. And uh, Joab found out exactly how Asahel died. And not long after that, Abner got disenchanted. Saul and Jonathan were killed. And one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, became ruler. And Abner had been loyal to him. And he said, This is a dead end street. So he went to David and offered David his services, and David said, well, sure, I'll be glad to have you. You're a mighty man of valor, so I'll be glad to take you into my army. And so Abner was serving with Joab, and uh, they, they now were allies, but Joab remembered that Abner had killed his brother. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a teaching, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and there was a teaching called the blood avenger. If somebody killed your brother... Even if it was in war, you could kill them. You had, in fact, not just the right to kill them, you had the responsibility to kill them. And one day, Abner had forgotten about the blood avenger, and he walked in, and Joab said, come here, Abner, I want to talk to you a minute. And he put his arm around him. When he put his arm around him, he wasn't doing that because he loved him. 
He was doing that because he was about to kill him. And the Bible very plainly says he took his sword and smote Abner in the stomach with his sword and Abner died. Now, when David heard about it, the Bible says that David, who was a singer, sang a lament for Abner. And here's what he said in 2 Samuel 3.33. He said, should Abner die as a fool dies. That's possible today. Just like Abner died as a fool, he trusted his enemy. And I know what you're thinking. Preacher, you, you must think we're terrible people. You must think we go around making enemies. You do have enemies. You have three enemies. The Bible says that. Your enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And let me tell you what. When you do things the devil wants you to do, you know what's happening? The devil is Joab just like this. And the devil is saying, oh, I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to go to hell. Oh, that's an old myth that preachers made up to scare people. There's no such thing. You know, if I was the devil, I would try to convince people, first of all, that I didn't exist. And if I couldn't convince them I didn't exist, I'd at least try to convince them there would be no hell. I want to tell you, young people, you understand this. The devil is not your friend. The devil hates you. He doesn't want you to go to heaven. He doesn't want you to live a blessed life. He wants you to mess up royally. And the more you mess up royally, the happier he is and the worse you are. The devil is your enemy. Don't mistake that. That was why Abner died. He mistook Joab for a friend when he was the avenger of blood. And David said of Abner, Abner dies as a fool. But then Jesus told a story about a man that somebody besides David said was a fool. Jesus told the story of a man who was already rich. Now listen, I'm talking about this guy wasn't just rich. He was what we used to call filthy rich. Have you ever thought about what that filthy rich? How could you be? I thought no money was filthy, but I guess when you're filthy rich, you have so much money you can get dirty and not worry about it. But this man was filthy rich. Literally, he was filthy. You say, how do you know he was filthy rich, preacher? Jesus telling the story said he looked out and saw his fields that were going to have so much harvest he couldn't put it all in his barns. He had enough money to tear down his old barns and build big new barns. Now, they didn't have credit in those days. You had to pay cash for that. And so this man tore down all of his old little barns and built big, new, gigantic barns. And then at harvest time, his barns were all full. You know that old guy? He sat back and he said, man, look at me. I've got it on easy street. I don't have a care in the world. I've got so many things laid up for years. I'm just going to enjoy life. In fact, he said, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, there's an old proverb, not a Bible proverb, but it's a proverb, an ancient proverb that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. He didn't even quote the rest of that proverb, and it was around in his day. He just said, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. By the way, can I tell you this? Your soul can't eat, drink, and be merry. The only way your soul can be merry is to rest in Jesus. Amen. That's what God made your soul to do, not to be merry over goods, to be merry over wine, to be merry over possessions. God made your soul to be merry when it rests in Jesus. And this man said, man, I've got all this stuff. Look at what I've got. And notice what Jesus said. But God, you might want to underline those two words. But God said to him, you fool. 
Now, I want to tell you, calling somebody a fool in the Bible is a very serious thing. You go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and see what Jesus said about that. Now, don't call somebody a fool. You're violating the command of Scripture. But God said of this man, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's something to remember. Young people, remember this. Money makes a very good servant. Money makes a very good servant, but money makes a very bad master. If all you live for is money, you are never going to be happy. Now, you have to have money to live. And the Bible says if we trust God and we do what God tells us to do, we'll have, we'll have what we need to live on. I still believe that the promises of Scripture are true, that if we bring God's tithe and an offering into the storehouse, God will pour out the blessings of heaven and we won't be able to receive it. That promise is still valid. But we don't live to get money. By the way, God doesn't need any money. Did you know that? God knows where every drop of oil is. God knows where every diamond is. God knows where every uh, vein of gold and silver, any other precious stones you want to find. God knows, and it all belongs to God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Don't make possessions your God. They'll take you down to hell. Some people die as foods, but oh, I want to hasten on and be positive. Some people die faithfully. When I think about people who die faithfully, I just had time to pick out three today. But I think about Stephen. Oh, Stephen was a deacon. You deacons ought to thank God for Stephen. You really ought to. You know, he was selected to take care of Grecian widows, and we don't know of one Grecian widow Stephen ever helped. We know that it worked because the Bible says when they did that, it pleased everybody, and the Lord blessed the church. But well, one thing we know about Stephen is he was a dynamic preacher, and he was preaching to the same crowd that crucified Jesus, and he told them, you crucified him, but God raised him up, and now... There's salvation in his name. It made them so mad that they said, we're going to stone you to death. And they started taking their coats off because it was work to stone a person. And they started taking their coats off. And there was a young guy standing there named Saul. Later on, he would be called Paul. And Saul held the cloaks of everybody that stoned Stephen. And so they're stoning Stephen. Why are they stoning him? Because he helped Grecian widows? No. They're stoning him because he loved Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ and proclaimed Jesus Christ to an angry crowd. There are people today proclaiming Jesus Christ in the midst of an angry crowd. Iqbal, the man from Pakistan who was with us just a few weeks ago. Uh, today, I don't know if it's still Sunday where he is or not, but I'll tell you what he's doing on Sunday. He's opening his Bible and he's teaching the Bible and he's preaching the gospel and he's praying for people. And if Muslims ask him about his faith, he'll tell them his faith is in Jesus Christ, not in Mohammed or Allah. He's preaching the gospel in a dangerous place. Stephen preached it in the same area where they crucified Jesus. And they took him out and they took off their coats and they stoned him. Now look at this verse. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. I want to tell you, there are two miracles in that. First of all, when Stephen is dying, he sees Jesus. He looks up and God rose back to the clouds and the sky and Stephen sees Jesus. You know what Jesus is doing? He's standing by the Father's throne. Everywhere else, just about in the Bible, after his finished work, you see Jesus seated at the throne. 
But when Stephen is being stoned, you see Jesus and Stephen sees Jesus standing at the throne. You know why he's standing there? He's standing there because he's saying, this is one of my own. This is one who is shedding his blood for me. I shed my blood for him. Now he's shedding my blood for me. And just like if you're at a football game and your team takes the ball and they're going down the field and some guy breaks loose and he's going to score a touchdown, you don't just sit there and turn to the person sitting next to you and say, well, isn't this lovely? Our team is about to score a touchdown. I am so happy. I, I just feel such joy welling up in my soul. I am just exuberant with happiness. No, you don't do that. You jump up and you spill your Diet Coke and you drop your hot dog and you're screaming to the top of your lungs, run, boy, run, score, score. And I want to tell you, when Jesus stood up, he wasn't cheering for Stephen to make a touchdown. He was cheering Stephen, come on home, son. You don't belong down there. Up here's where you belong. You're about to come see me face to face and I'm ready to hug your neck. I'm ready to thank you for serving me. But then notice this. As he was about to die, he cried with a loud voice. Now, hmm, do I remember something about somebody else crying with a loud voice when they're about to die? I believe it was the Lord Jesus. I believe it was the Lord Jesus who cried. And, and how did people mostly die on the cross? Not from blood loss, not from the wounds, but from suffocation. If you're suffocating, you can't cry with a loud voice. But Jesus cried with a loud voice. You know why most people died from stoning? Not because of head trauma, but because they were being crushed to death by stones. Just the weight of the stones would literally crush all the air out of them. Now, if you're being crushed, can you shout with a loud voice? Not unless God gives it to you. <laughs> why did old Stephen shout? And listen, don't you get mad at me if I shout every now and then. I want to tell you, I have a reason to shout. I was going to hell one day and I got rescued. I'm not going to hell anymore. I was living for the devil one day and I'm not living for the devil anymore. I'm living for God. I didn't have peace. Now I've got peace that flows like a river. And if I want to shout, I'll shout as long as God gives me a voice to shout. Because I've got something to shout about. And old Stephen shouted. He said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Now, who does that sound like? Does that sound like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they... Listen, folks, don't you bear a grudge against anybody. Don't you bear a grudge against anybody. You say, preacher, you don't know what they did. I don't know what they did, but I do know what they did to Jesus, and I know what they did to Stephen. And you know what those two men of God said, God's son and God's deacon said? They said, don't blame them for this. I hold... I hold no grudge against them. Don't lay this sin to their charge. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, Stephen died faithfully. There was a woman who didn't die faithfully, but she lived faithfully. But she was willing to die. You ladies ought to be proud of this woman. Her name was Esther. She was a beautiful woman. And she was married to the king of Persia. And there was a law that said the queen of Persia could only speak to the king when the king bade her to come. Now, some of you guys act like that about your wife. You treat your wife like you're the king of Persia. Well, I got news for you. You're not, okay? You're not the king of Persia. But the king of Persia, he thought so much of himself, he thought he was a god, and he said, y'all can't come talk to me unless I bid you to come. And if a woman did it, he'd kill her, even if it was his wife. And so there was a man in Persia named 
uh, Haman, and he wanted to kill all the Jews. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people want to kill Jews? Have you ever noticed that Hitler wanted to kill Jews? And the guy over in Iran now, Ahabminijad, I think that's how you say his name. You know what he said? He said, it took Hitler six years to kill six million. I'll kill six million Jews in two seconds when I drop the big one on them. People always trying to kill Jews, even in the Old Testament. Haman built the gallows to hang all the Jews on. You say, why is that important, preacher? Where did Jesus come from? He came from Israel. He came from the Jews. If the Jews had been exterminated, there would not have been a Messiah. Now, God wasn't going to allow that to happen. But one of the people that he used was a woman named Esther. And her uncle, named Mordecai, came to see her. And he said, Esther, who knows but that you've been born into the kingdom for such a time as this. And she said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, you need to go talk to the king. She said, if I go in there, they'll kill me first. And Mordecai said, but if you don't go in there, they'll kill all of us. And there won't be a chosen people. We won't be able to go back to Jerusalem. We won't be able to bring the Messiah into the world. And you know what Esther said? She said, if I perish, I perish. even though it's against the law, I'm going. Now you say, well, preacher, she didn't die. No, but she was willing to die. Can I say this? If you're not willing to die for Jesus, you won't die for Jesus. If you're not willing to say, if I perish, I perish, you won't perish for Jesus. You'll be a living sacrifice that'll crawl off the altar. That has to be made before time. She was willing to perish. She died faithfully because she was willing to die for her people. And then, of course, of all the people that I think about dying faithfully, the Apostle Paul wrote his own epitaph. He said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who've loved his appearing. Now, Brother Paul and Brother Minnie Jackson, y'all are my elders just by a little bit. You know, in fact, not too many people are older than me anymore, you know. I remember when I used to be a young pastor. That was a long time ago. It didn't seem like it was that long ago, but when I look at the calendar, it was a long time ago. But, you know, I don't want to quit. I don't want to sit down. I don't want to stop preaching. I don't want to stop so winning. I don't want to stop reading my Bible. I don't want to stop telling people about Jesus. I don't want to stop going on mission trips. I don't want to stop serving the Lord. I want to do it more. I don't want to die sitting by the fireside when I ought to be out there working in the Lord's field. I got plenty of time to sit by a fireside in heaven. I got plenty of time. I'm, I don't mean to make you mad. If you're, I like to fish as good as anybody. I don't go fishing when I need to be getting ready to preach. I got to put first, I like hunting, but I don't go hunting when I need to be getting, when there are things I need to do. You see, I made a, long, made a point a long time ago, I want to finish well. I don't want to be a quitter, and I don't want to be a sitter, and I don't want to be a moaner and a complainer. I, 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 I want to be a positive influence for the Lord Jesus Christ until the last breath is gone out of my body. And then I don't want anybody to be unclear about where I went. I want them to say, you know, we can say this about that old preacher. He never changed his message. He never changed his desire. He never changed his dream. 
And by the way, I want you to help me with my dream. I got a dream of our church reaching more people for Christ. I got a dream of our church reaching more people in this community for Christ. I'm glad that we got a group in Peru. I say amen to that. I've been to Peru myself. I'm glad that we've got a group going to Africa. Amen to that. Nobody's a bigger fan of our African missions than me. I'm glad we'd have that. But I, w- I want to tell you this. I want to be a part of it. I don't just want to watch it happen. I want to help make it happen. I may not can go to Africa, but I can help send people to Africa. But I want to build a church here that reaches people right here. We are going to try something this fall that we've needed to do for 13 years. First Sunday we moved in this building, man, there wasn't a seat in the house. There wasn't a parking place in the parking lot. Literally hundreds of people got turned away, and that was my fault. I'm the pastor. That was my fault. I didn't have the wisdom and the foresight to think, you know, maybe we ought to have two services on that day. We had had two services at the other place for years. It wouldn't seat but about three or 400 people. And we've been having two services down there for years. And I thought, we can all get together in one place at one time. Well, we didn't. And so the second Sunday we were up here, we started having two services. And not long after we had two services, we noticed something. There were more people in this service than there were at the 1045 service. That doesn't take a rocket scientist and a brain surgeon to figure out why that is. Here's why it is. Because we have more people in Sunday school at 1045 than we do at 915. What happens here is y'all leave out of here and hopefully go to Sunday school, and the folks that are in Sunday school come in here hopefully and go to worship, and this service has always been bigger. I mean, I don't know, this, this is not a huge crowd because it's a holiday weekend. But on most Sundays, this service is pretty full. And they tell you when you get 80% full, people think you're full and won't come back. So we have desperately needed to balance the services. We've tried on two other occasions to do that. Here's what we're going to have to do this fall. We're going to have to get things in balance. We're asking some classes to come to the 9.15 hour that had been going to 10.45. Here's, here's the deal. If we're able to do this effectively, we will be able to reach about 1,700 people in Sunday school rather than the eight to 900 we're reaching now. And we'll be able to reach between 1,800 and 2,000 in worship rather than the 900 or whatever it is now we have. We can double. Now, can you imagine what would happen if we had twice as many choir members? If we had twice as many Sunday school classes, twice as many groups ministering, twice as many people doing outreach. Now, folks, you say, why are you saying that? Because I'm not done, okay? I'm not done. Yeah, I'm 65 years old. I can't help that. I was born in 1948. If you was born in 1948, you're either 65 or you're dead. Or fixing to be 65. Or fixing to be dead, either one. I mean, you can't argue with, you can't argue with time with one or the other. You say, aren't you worried? No, I'm not worried. I, made, I took care of that a long time ago in a cornfield in Warren County. I'm ready. If he calls me right now, I'm gone. I want to see that grandbaby, but if he calls me, I don't have, I don't have a choice to refuse. I'm going to go. I'll see the grandbaby on my way up or from the portals of glory or something. But I want to tell you this. I'm not worried about just finishing the course. I want to win the race. I want to die climbing. I don't want to sit on my laurels and say, look what I've done. Because I didn't do anything. God did it. But I want to tell you this. I'm like old Caleb. God's not through with me yet. I want that mountain. I'm not scared of any giants. God will help me slay my giants.
but I have to face them. But Paul died so faithfully. He lost his head, chopped his head off. But he said, I'm a drink offering. I finished the race. I've completed my course. I fought a good fight. There's a crown waiting for me. I want to die faithfully like Paul. But here's the sad thing, and I'm almost done. Most people won't die like fools. And unfortunately, most people won't die faithful. Most people will die unprepared. You say, well, aren't they fools? Well, yeah. But they don't realize it. That's the problem. They don't realize. That's the problem with a fool. He doesn't realize he's a fool or she's a fool. If they realized it, they'd change. Notice what Jesus said. I want you to take your pen out because I want you to underline a couple of things on your bulletin. He says, not everyone who says, circle the word says there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. Circle the word does right there. The will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many, circle the word many, please. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and notice this, and do many, circle that word many again, many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And I want to tell you one thing I love about my HCSB Bible is when they think Jesus is being emphatic, they make sure you know it. And this is one time when they believe Jesus was emphatic. And we, Pat and I didn't do this large print here. It's done. If you have an HCSB Bible, you'll notice this is a different typeset altogether than the rest. Of the way we chose to do it was in all caps. But it's a, they're saying Jesus emphasized that when he says, I never knew you, you're going to depart from him because you were a lawbreaker. Now, notice the two differences. People say and people do. Now, notice what these people said they did. They said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Now, I'm trying to do a little prophesying right now. You know what prophesying is? It's not predicting the future. Prophesying is saying, thus saith the Lord. That's what prophesying is. And by the way, I told the Boy Scouts, I prophesied a little bit to the Boy Scouts this week. I said, y'all change the rules, we're out, we're done, we're finished. You know what they said? Good, we're changing the rules. Guess what? They're done. I love the Boy Scouts. I was a Boy Scout. I've supported the Scout program here ever since we've had it. And I still love the Scout leaders we have and our Scouts. They're good people. But somebody outside said, we're going to change this. We're going to change this because many people want it. Let me remind you that the majority may prevail, but the majority is not always right. I want to say that. Oh, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord. But he said, only the ones who do the will of my Father. What I'm saying to you is don't die unprepared. Don't die thinking you're prepared and not be prepared. Notice they prophesied, and then notice this, they cast out demons. You know what the Pharisees said about Jesus? They said, he casts out demons by the power of the devil. 
You know what Jesus said? He said, that's ridiculous. He said, if I cast out demons by the power of the devil, a house divided against itself shall not stand. Where have I heard that in American history? What is it in the Gettysburg Address? I think so. A house divided against itself cannot stand. By the way, I went to City Hall one time and said that. And people thought I was taking sides. Can I tell you, I don't come to take sides. <laughs> the only side I'm on is the Lord's side. I'm going to say what the Lord said. The Lord said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Listen, if this house gets divided against itself, we can't stand. That's not God's will. Folks, that's prophesying when you preach the word. That's prophesying. Cast out demons. See, some people thought they cast out demons, but if they did, the devil tricked them. And then they said, and do many. Look at that. We didn't just do a few miracles. Lord, we did many miracles. You know what they said about poor old John the Baptist? Huh. He didn't do any miracles. You know what John the Baptist did? He came as the forerunner and got this world ready for Jesus Christ. I don't care if John ever did a miracle or not. He did what God wanted him to do because he preached the word and people repented and they were ready when Jesus came. But notice this. It is not the works you do in Jesus' name. It is living in the will of God that is paramount in authentic conversion. Die in his will, not just doing works in his name. Brother Phil, I'm not picking on you. I love you. I, I told Captain Smith a while ago before I baptized him. I said, Captain Smith's a good-sized fella. I said, uh, I baptized a guy one time named Phil Cochran. And I said, Phil's a good-sized fella. And I said, I went to his house, and I said, Phil, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. We're members of Methodist Church. Now, I'm not saying all members of Methodist Church aren't saved. I'm just saying I asked Brother Phil, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. And I said, well, if you want to join our church, happy to be baptized. He said, okay, I'll be baptized. So it's down at the old church a long time ago. So I got Phil in the baptistry. When Phil and I got in the baptistry, it was plumb full. I mean, me and Phil in the water. I think when I baptized Phil, the ladies in the choir got baptized. They got sprinkled. I got him baptized. I said, thank you, Lord. I got him up. Didn't drop him. That's good. A few, I don't know, a couple years later, I guess it was, not long after that, we went to Promise Keepers. Man, Friday night was a bust. All of us were disappointed, discouraged. We all said we'd never come to Promise Keepers again. Went to the morning session. And within about 15 minutes after they started, I heard 60-something thousand men weeping. I was one of them. I saw people on their knees, including this old fat preacher, had a hard time getting on his knees anywhere, much less in a seat in the Georgia Dome. But I was on my knees weeping before God. Went out to lunch that day, had the bag lunch from Promise Keepers. Phil and Robbie Tatum said, you know, we just got saved. We just got saved. But guess what? I had to baptize him all over again. I just dunked him the first time. I really baptized him that second time. But, Brother Phil, I didn't try to talk you out of that, did I? I was glad you got saved, brother. And if you're here today and you had the same experience Phil has and you thought you were saved and you think, well, you know, I, I've, I've talked a lot about it, but I'm not sure I've ever had a real conversion experience. Don't die unprepared. Don't die unprepared. If you hear anything I'm saying today, don't go out that door unless you know that you know that you know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. 
You say, how can you know? Well, read the Bible. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, you're a real arrogant preacher. You just say you have, listen, there's not an arrogant thing about me saying I have eternal life. I have eternal life that I don't deserve, but it was bought by the blood of Jesus. It was wrought by the spirit of the living God and he's cleansed me and he's filled me and he's given me a vision and a hope and a joy that I never lose. No matter what happens outside, I've got joy inside because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for his call because I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Let's pray to you. Father, thank you for telling us so plainly that some people died as fools. Some people died faithfully. But Lord, many people are going to die unprepared. Lord, the message of this church and every gospel preaching church on this planet is to lift up the blood-stained banner of the cross, not to lift up the denomination, not to lift up a program, but Lord, to lift up Jesus. And Father, today, may we do that in spirit and in truth. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know absolutely, positively, beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're saved, let them come today to be saved. If there's someone that needs to be baptized, let them come. Father, if there's someone that needs this morning to join a church that believes the Bible, preaches the Bible, teaches the Bible, sends people out to win people to Christ on mission trips because the Bible's setting to go, let them come and be united with this church. And Father, maybe there's somebody here this morning that said an unkind word. Maybe they've held a grudge. Lord, I pray today you'd resolve those differences. You tell us in your word, if we have ought against our brother and we come to the altar with a gift, not even to leave the gift at the altar, but go and be reconciled with our brother and then come to the altar. Father, I pray that'll happen today for Jesus' sake. Now bless this invitation. We give it in that name that's above all names, the name by which we only can be saved. The wonderful name of Jesus, and for his kingdom's glory we pray. Amen.